Welcome back to Choice or Coercion, the biography of Norplant podcast. I am Justina Licata, and I'm a 20th century historian. My research focuses on the history of birth control, feminism, and population control policy. In this episode, I will be telling you about Howard Broadman, a judge from California, and his decision to employ Norplant as part of Darlene Johnson's parole agreement. At the time, Johnson was a pregnant mother of four who had been convicted of child abuse. Broadman argued that the rights of Johnson's unborn future children outweighed her reproductive freedom. In the previous episode, I spoke about Norplant's development and testing trials. To refresh your memory, Norplant was a contraceptive device that consisted of six silicone rubber rods filled with a man-made hormone. When inserted under the skin of a woman's upper arm, Norplant prevented pregnancies for up to five years. In December of 1990, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved Norplant for use. Using Norplant as a lens, this podcast complicates the often empowering narratives associated with birth control's history. Norplant shows us that the technology was both useful and problematic at the same time. And Darlene Johnson's case demonstrates the ways provider-controlled contraceptives have been used to temporarily sterilize some women. Many birth control methods are categorized as provider-controlled, including all IUDs, shots, and implants. And what I mean when I say provider-controlled is any contraceptive that requires a healthcare practitioner to remove it. These contraceptive options have and continue to provide many women with greater reproductive control. But in some cases, especially for women of color, indigenous women, and poor women, provider-controlled contraceptives have been used to curb women's reproduction. Through this examination of Johnson's case, I hope you will contemplate the state's role in deciding if and when a woman should or should not have a child. Now let's talk about some of the specifics in Darlene Johnson's case. On January 2nd, 1991, just one month after Norplant's FDA approval, Darlene Johnson was convicted of child abuse for beating two of her four children with an electrical cord and belt buckle. A 60 Minutes report on the story aired in November of 1991. People around the world who are worried about the alarming rate of population growth have been heartened by a revolutionary birth control method called Norplant. Norplant produces temporary sterilization in women who agree to be implanted with the device. Last December, the FDA okayed it for use in this country. That, you would think, would be enough to set off a religious hue and cry. So far, it hasn't. What it has set off is a constitutional hue and cry. Using it voluntarily is one thing, but does a judge have the right to sentence a woman to have herself sterilized, if only temporarily? During this televised segment, a reporter interviewed Johnson about her conviction and parole agreement. In the course of this conversation, she told him, I had a rough life. I mean, I have five children. I'm only 28 years old. In 1991, as she mentioned in the interview, Darlene Johnson was a 28-year-old African-American pregnant mother of four. She lived close to Visalia, California, a small farming community with about 75,000 residents, 150 miles north of Los Angeles. After becoming a mother at 16, she used the welfare system to support her family. Johnson was struggling to raise her four children when she used the electrical cord and belt to punish her two oldest, an act she later regretted. When the 60 Minutes reporter asked if she went too far, Johnson stated, I don't think I know I went too far. Despite this regret, Johnson told the reporter she was a good mother. 
Although Johnson was eligible for a six-year prison term, California County Judge Howard Broadman ordered Johnson to have Norplan inserted into her arm for three years. She was also required to attend parenting classes and undergo mental health counseling as part of her parole agreement. Now let's take a moment to look at Judge Broadman's career leading up to Darlene Johnson's case. Broadman, who was in his early 40s at the time, was already well-known for creative punishments. In the three years he was on the bench before Johnson's case, Broadman had required a defendant who was convicted of abusing his wife to donate his car to a woman's shelter. He also sentenced a repeat offender to wear a t-shirt that described his theft crime for a year as part of his parole. In an article about this unconventional parole agreement in People magazine, Broadman said, and I quote, If prison isn't going to work, maybe public humiliation will, end quote. While these unusual convictions garnered Broadman some media attention, none compared to the attention he received after he ordered Johnson to use Norplant. Broadman's order was the first time Norplant was used punitively in the U.S. It created a firestorm of debates over who had the right to decide if Johnson could have more children. Darlene Johnson's case showed that Norplant could be used to control a woman's reproduction. The question became, was Broadman justified in his decision, or was his order unconstitutional? In order to fully understand Darlene Johnson's case, it is important to examine the severe racial tensions that existed in the early 1990s. When Norplant was introduced onto the American market, social policies were already making life much more difficult for poor people and people of color. In the 1980s, President Ronald Reagan's administration passed a series of policies that criminalized urban spaces populated mostly by people of color. These efforts also included aggressive law enforcement strategies targeted at petty drug offenses. As a result of Reagan's aggressive war on drugs, the incarceration rates across the country increased at a record pace. In addition, several violent incidents, including the Rodney King beating, Latasha Harlan's murder, and the LA riots, illustrated the racial tensions felt in the U.S. in the early 1990s. In March 1991, Four Los Angeles Police Department officers brutally beat Rodney King, a 25-year-old African-American man, after a short car chase. Without the LAPD's knowledge, an amateur cameraman captured the incident, and this video footage was televised across the country. Despite significant outcry, especially from the African-American community, a jury acquitted all of the officers the following year. Just two months after the King beating, a 49-year-old Korean convenience store owner murdered Latasha Harlins, a 15-year-old African-American girl from Compton, California. After the convenience store owner thought Harlins was attempting to steal orange juice, she confronted her and tried to wrestle the orange juice from Harlins. When Harlins was able to break free, she placed the bottle of orange juice on the counter and turned away, most likely to leave the store. At this point, the convenience store owner pulled a gun from under the counter and shot Harlins in the back of the head, killing her. Like the King beating, the media televised the shocking security camera footage. The racial tensions following the Rodney King beating and Latasha Harlins murder ignited the massive five-day-long riot in Los Angeles in 1992. The L.A. riot caused the incineration of over a 1,000 buildings, more than 2,300 people were injured, and 54 individuals lost their lives. 
The violence playing out in California in the early 1990s displayed the tense racial relations felt throughout the U.S. This was compounded with the political rhetoric stereotyping African-American men as criminals and African-American women as lazy and poor mothers. These political circumstances allowed Judge Broadman to create the unorthodox parole agreement that included temporarily sterilizing Darlene Johnson. Despite initial criticisms from feminists and human rights advocates, Judge Broadman remained steadfast in his belief that his order to temporarily sterilize Johnson was warranted. He claimed the safety of her children and her future unborn children to be justification enough. When a reporter asked him about the critics that said he was depriving Darlene Johnson of her basic constitutional rights, Broadman responded, I say they're right, but what you have to do as a judge is you must balance the conflicting constitutional rights. And here, what I did was I found that there were constitutional rights of the children, the born children and her unconceived children. And I balanced their rights against her rights, and they won. Although Johnson initially agreed to the terms of her parole agreement, she later disclosed that she was led to believe that her only alternative was serving four years in prison. And to complicate the situation even further, the media revealed that Johnson was diabetic. I want to pause here to note the importance of this detail. Norplant's U.S. distributor informed all healthcare practitioners prescribing Norplant that women with diabetes were at higher risk of severe side effects. And although this medical condition made Johnson much more vulnerable to additional health risks associated with the drug, Judge Broadman did not give her any other options. After the American Civil Liberties Union came to her aid, Darlene Johnson decided that forced temporary sterilization restricted her constitutional rights. Therefore, with the help of the ACLU, her state-appointed attorney appealed the decision. Charles Rothbaum, an ACLU lawyer who contributed to Johnson's case, vehemently disagreed with Broadman's ruling. He told a reporter, Judge Broadman has given up on Darlene Johnson. What right does he have to tell her that she can't have babies for three years? Rothbaum worked with Johnson's lawyer to prove that the government had no right to mandate a woman's use of birth control. As part of their challenge, the attorneys argued that Judge Broadman's order was not about protecting Johnson's current and unconceived children. Rather, they argued that Broadman was motivated by the political belief that welfare recipients purposely took advantage of the nation's economic resources. Rothbaum discussed their arguments in the 60 Minutes report. For Charles Rothbaum, Judge Broadman's decision isn't really about preventing child abuse. I feel we're trying to do is really keep somebody uh, who is on welfare from having another child. And I think it's pretty presumptuous for a man to tell a woman that he's helping her by telling her she can't have kids. That's really none of his business. When confronted with a question about his motivations, Broadman told a reporter, There are those who have suggested that what I did in this case was based on some kind of economic factor. All the children of the world who are neglected and abused are poor. That's who's poor. Her economic status had nothing to do with my decision. Howard Broadman's order angered many special interest groups, including anti-abortion advocates who spoke out against Norplant. Two anti-abortion groups, the American Life Lobby and the Family Research Council, led campaigns against Norplant. These organizations, like women's health activists, argued that Norplant was hurried onto the American market. 
Further, they believed the contraceptive device to be an early abortion-causing drug because it used hormones to block pregnancies. Let me explain this argument because it is a bit confusing. Hormone-based contraceptives, like Norplant, do not always prevent ovulations or the release of an egg. But these types of contraceptives thin the lining of a woman's endometrium, or the uterine wall. Therefore, they prevent pregnancies because fertilized eggs are unable to implant in the uterine wall. Because many anti-abortion activists believe that life begins at conception, they reason that hormonal contraceptives cause early abortions. This rationale motivated one anti-abortion activist to protest violently. On March 6, 1991, an armed Harry Raymond Bodine entered the Tular County Courthouse in Visalia, where Broadman worked. He fired one shot at Judge Broadman, narrowly missing his head. After the shooting, Bodine set down his gun and firmly stated, I'm guilty, I did it. And in reference to Norplant, he said, those drugs kill babies. In an interview with Time Magazine, Bradman recalled the moment. I ducked underneath the bench and waited for him to come around the corner and shoot me again. A lot was going through my head very, very fast. I thought I was dying. I was feeling for blood and I couldn't find the blood. Then I saw the bullet hole in the wall and I realized that he missed. Later, Bodine was charged with attempted murder and Howard Bradman subsequently removed himself from Johnson's case. Johnson's attorney and the ACLU continued the legal fight, but after she was found to have used cocaine, they threw out Johnson's appeal. She was ordered to return to prison for breaking her parole, and because the appeals court decided not to proceed with the case, no precedent was set. This allowed judges across the country to employ Norplant as part of parole agreements. By 1994, U.S. judges had ordered seven women to have Norplant forcibly inserted. Johnson's case is full of complicated questions centered on reproductive freedom. Questions regarding a woman's right to choose when or when not to have a child continue to be debated. At the same time, city officials, state lawmakers, and community leaders across the U.S. encouraged Norplant use amongst poor and minority populations. The next episode examines another example of this. In 1992, Baltimore's health commissioner allowed one health clinic in a public school to prescribe Norplant to their teenage students. Like Johnson's case, this program caused a tense debate that splintered the nation's African-American population. My examination of this program and the debate it produced will include a conversation with six University of North Carolina Greensboro College students. If you would like to see some visuals related to Darlene Johnson's case, please check out our Instagram account. The handle is choice underscore or underscore coercion. Thank you so much for listening, and please come back to learn more about Norplant's complicated history. I am Justina Licata, and this is Choice or Coercion, the biography of Norplant podcast.